please join me in welcoming none other than Father Chris Ayla. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, it's an honor to be here, uh, helping to raise awareness of the need for Perusia. And as Charbel said, why do we exist? Why is it that we are here? And the answer is to evangelize. And, <clears throat> you know, when I started to really explore into my faith, I, I had my guiding force, a GPS. And that GPS was Father G for Mark Goring, Father P for Father Mitch Pacwa, and S for Father Spitzer. Those are the three priests that I really relied on. But as I started to look into my faith, I found uh, a couple great resources, and one of them's right here in Australia. And you know, one of uh, the videos that I did has received millions of views and actually was nothing more than the material I stole from Robert Haddad. <laughs> so, I, on the video, I credited him with being one of the best that I had heard in explaining of the end times. So I just wanted to say thank you uh, to him and, uh, and to find these types of sources is good. But let us begin with what is critical today. And let me tell you, there's probably not a more important topic that we can discuss. Why? All right, in just 10 years, just 10 years, 80% of adults said they were Christian. Now it's under 60%. In just 10 years. At the same time, atheists, agnostics, and nothings have risen to well over a quarter of the population just in the US and Australia. You know, um, they always say Catholics in America are the largest single body uh, denomination, right? Well, no, Father, there's more Protestants in America than Catholics. Yes, there are. But they're spread out over 40,000 denominations. Catholic is the biggest because all the others added together are bigger. But any one individual, Catholics are the biggest in the United States. You know what the second biggest is? Ex-Catholics. That's the second biggest, if you could call it, a denomination. It really isn't. So falling away Catholics is a problem. And, you know, a Pew Research study, let's look at this. Look at your screen if you can see it. A Pew Research study said 50% of young Americans who are raised Catholic are no longer practicing. The numbers are similar here in Australia. Four out of five Catholics who left the church did so before age 23. That is alarming. And worst of all, only 30% believe in the real presence. Now, the reasons today are many. The scandal, COVID. But as you've always heard me say, we don't leave Jesus because of Judas. Okay? Very important. You know, um... But here's an interesting fact. A lot of Catholics interviewed who never came back to church. Do you know the number one reason they say they never came back to church? Does anybody know? The number one reason Catholics who have left the faith said they never come back. Why? Nobody asked. 
Nobody asked them to come back with them, to go to church with them, to pray with them. Many said they stayed away for this reason. Why? We are not evangelizing. That encompasses the work of Perusia. The work to get this word, the word, out to the world. Notice only a difference of one letter. So when we have here, I'm going to share with you tonight, I only got a few minutes, is how powerful this is. Now, how do you evangelize to bring someone back to Christ or the church to know God? It's very difficult, but yet it's not. Paul VI said evangelizing means bringing the good news of Jesus into every human situation and seeking to convert individuals and society by the divine power of the gospel itself. That's it. Now, do you know the biggest part of the problem of evangelization? You want to see the biggest problem? Right here. That's the biggest problem. Right now, the Catholic churches have lost their way. And one of the problems is, is to follow God's word, we got to really understand Jesus himself. This is where parishes are making mistakes. Why? Because they are catechizing before they evangelize. What is the difference between evangelizing and catechizing? Easy. Catechizing and evangelizing are similar but different. Catechizing is simply, let me back up, evangelizing is simply why explaining or showing somebody why they want to give their life to Christ. Why do you want to follow him? Why you should follow Jesus? Why you should give your life to him? Catechesis, catechizing, is how you do that. So evangelizing is why Catechizing is how. For instance, I'm at the National Shrine of Divine Mercy. If I want to bring you there, I have to first, in a way, explain why you want to go there. If I jump in to tell you how to get there, well, you fly into Boston, and then you take I-90 West, and you get off at exit two, you're going to be like, okay, you just gave me directions how to get to the shrine, but why do I want to go to the shrine? Why do I want to go there? We are doing that in the church. We're catechizing on how to follow Jesus. Well, you take this Bible study, you do this, you take this class, you go through RCIA, you do this. But nowhere are we really focusing on why we want to give our life to Christ. That's what evangelization is. So I'm going to give you some little pointers here. Um, John Paul II made it very good. He said, you know, you don't even have to go to Africa to evangelize anymore. We used to because in America and Australia, the person in the pew was evangelized. Now they're not. So John Paul II says, you don't got to go to Africa anymore. The person next to you in the pew in the United States, same really with Australia, hasn't been evangelized. And so this is why we do it. So evangelization, basically, let's jump in. After we evangelize, again, the importance here is you can't love what you don't know. Right? Thomas Aquinas made this clear. You can't love what you don't know. 
So, in order to love God, we got to come to know him. And that is the beginning. We need to set he we need to see God as both our savior, he saved us, and really because he paid the penalty for death, death which or sin which is death. But he did this obviously because of love. But the fact is have we responded? Do you ever care when you wake up every morning? Do you ever thank God every morning you wake up that the only reason you are able to wake up is because he died on the cross for you? Many don't even think about it. And so we have to really understand the power of this. And this <clears throat> is here. This is the image that brings us. You know what they say in Misericordia Voltus? If you could wrap the fate, the, if you could capture somehow the mercy of God the Father and somehow encapsulate it and bring it to you to see it, they say it's the face of the divine mercy image. That's what the Holy Father wrote. And so in order to do this, we have to understand the role. And then we catechize through things like getting them to church, the sacraments, Bible study, catechism, works of mercy, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. These are all powerful tools. Now, it starts with the church. You got to realize the value of the church. I said this morning at the talk, don't you love it when people say, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Or, or the, the one I love, I'm not into organized religion. This morning I said, it's too bad because Jesus organized religion. He established the magisterium. He determined the Catholic College of Bishops, ordained them, gave them the authority to carry on the authority through apostolic succession. He established the papacy, placed Peter upon it. He gave us the authority to bind or loose. All of it is in the hierarchy of the church, and we don't get it. Now, the thing is, is do you realize, first of all, the world's oldest continuous running institution in the history of the world today is the Catholic Church? The Catholic Church is the world's oldest continuous institution. And some of you have heard me before say, if you've been to a university, thank the Catholic Church. Now, universities existed in a different way in the Greek system, but the way we know it today, thank the Catholic Church. Hospitals, yeah, they, they existed with the ancient Rome, but the way we know them today, thank the Catholic Church. Charities, like Parousia, education, you know, a lot of these things, people don't realize the value of the Catholic Church. But I always say, if there was only the Catholic Church for 1,500 years, it's got to be the Church of Christ. And this morning at my talk, I pointed that out. Did anybody do this with your phone? If you pull out your phone and you ask Siri, who started, and you can name any religion, Siri, who started the Methodist Church? Siri, who started the Mormon church, she'll come back and say Joseph Smith. If you say Siri, who started the Baptist church, she'll say uh, John Smith. 
If you say Siri, who started the Episcopalian Church? She'll say Samuel Seabury. As I said this morning, God bless Samuel Seabury. But he's not Jesus Christ. If you ask Siri who started the Catholic Church, it says Jesus Christ. It's the only, it's the only one. 40,000 different uh, Christian denominations and every single one you can find the human founder. The only one when you say, hey Siri, who started the Catholic Church, says Jesus Christ. So which one do you want to follow? You want to follow Samuel Seabury or do you want to follow Jesus Christ? All right, so this is the point, everybody. Now, I'm going to give you seven steps here um, that I find is very helpful. And I work a lot with uh, Word on Fire. You guys know uh, Bishop Barron. Well, a good friend of mine is Brandon Vaught. Has anybody here ever uh, heard of Brandon Vaught? Yeah, a couple of people in the back there. Um, I'm friends with him. I work with him. And we, were, did, we did a show together. And I want to borrow some of the things that we said on the show because I think they're really powerful. And these are the seven steps to bring your loved ones back to church. And I'm telling you, they work. If you just take a minute to listen to these seven, you'll find an amazing difference in your loved ones coming back to church. Now, the first thing is here. You cannot push them or prod them. You can't guilt trip them. Okay? You know, Johnny, I love you, but you realize if you're not going to church today, you're going to hell. Okay? You can't terrorize them. That isn't going to work. Now, you can't also give them the guilt trip. Can't give them the guilt trip. Well, I was in church all alone in my back started hurting and I needed to be able to get some help but there was nobody there with me you can't guilt trip them all right it isn't gonna work all right you can't do this you gotta stand beside them you pull them you don't push them all right you have to do this you have to realize this is the way now let's talk about this first step pray fast and sacrifice that sounds obvious but few of us do it, all right? Nothing else matters without these. If you do not pray, fast, and sacrifice for the loved ones that you know that are not going to church, it isn't going to work. you got to put your skin in the game. How many times do people say, oh, I want my son or daughter to come back? Have you done this? Well, I pray for them, Father. Okay, have you fasted? Have you given alms? Have you sacrificed? Without this, it isn't going to happen. Prayer. Let's talk about prayer. Father, I don't have time to pray. What is really kind of the church de facto standard for the minimum amount of time you should pray each day? Anybody know this? If you are so busy, so busy, that you say you don't have any time to pray, what is the minimum the church says you should pray each day? 15 minutes. Now at Wacom, I made the comment that people say they're too busy. I'm an industrial engineer. 
And one of the things we did is called time studies. We would take stopwatches and we would do elemental breakdown of any like manufacturing process. I worked in the Detroit auto industry. Um, I was in charge of building rear axles. So we would time these steps. I guarantee you, I'll bet you $1,000 that I can follow any one of you around for 24 hours and I can find 15 minutes. I guarantee it that you could find to pray. Now, when are the four times that the church teaches you should always pray? Even if it's 30 seconds, what four times during the, your day should you pray? One, when you wake up. Just thank God that you woke up. Remember, when you go to bed tonight, it's like a mini death. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, it's like a mini resurrection. Okay? So number one, you pray when you wake up. Two, when's the second time you want to pray? Before meals. Always thank God for the bounty that you are sharing. And we should thank God for this beautiful meal. So the second, pray before meals. What's the third? Third time we pray. Before we go to bed, thanking God that you got through the day and thanking God that you had the day and that you had a chance to be merciful. And what's the fourth time that we should always pray? Anybody? When you receive the sacraments. How many times do we just run up in the confessional line take communion and just head back and then we're looking at getting to the next event or the next place we got to go, you should seriously be praying before and after you receive the sacraments. Even in the confessional, do you pray before you go into confession? Not just, you know, this is classic. How many people sit out in front of the confessional line as the priest is in the confessional gossiping about the priest? And, oh, you know, oh, this is Father so-and-so. You better go over to that line over there. That's Father so-and-so. You know, I had a, a good friend in North Carolina, Tom and Nancy. They're great friends of mine. I tell you, God will get you one way or the other. And Tom and Nancy are hilarious because Nancy is tough. She's that tough American lady, independent. And she's like, bring it on. I need more penance. I need tougher I don't like this milk toast homilies. Tell me the truth. Tell me as it is. And Tom is this milk toast, gentle guy. He doesn't want any confrontation. He wants everything gentle. So they decide to go to the communal penance, not general absolution. Communal penance, and they have like 12 priests. And Tom says, oh, I'm going to go to Monsignor Karen." He's so gentle. He's so loving. I'm not going to Father Rue. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So he gets in the line for Monsignor Karen. Now Nancy says, you're crazy. I'm going to Father Rue. He's much tougher. And he's going to give it to me as it is. You know what happened when they both got up to the line? Whoever put the names on the doors, reverse them. 
So Nancy got Monsignor Karen and Tom got Father Rue. They were both shocked. Nancy was shocked at how good it can be to be gentle and merciful. And Tom was shocked that how good it could be to be held accountable. He got a penance that was tougher than he ever got in his whole life. And he still does that penance. So the point is, God's going to get you one way or the other. And so don't look at it as, as before you go to the sacraments that I'm judging the priest. Remember what Jesus told St. Faustina. St. Faustina said that Jesus told her, never judge the priest. He said, I'll take care of the priest. Oh, boy. That's... Jesus said, I'll take care of the priest. You don't worry about the priest. You pray for the priest before you go in there so that he can understand you better. So instead of gossiping about the priest, pray for the priest. So anyway, those are the four times you pray. All right, now, prayer, very important. Now, the Bible says that God loves tireless prayer. Remember the persistent widow, right? She never gave up, even if it's the same prayer every day. God loves persistent prayer. Sometimes it may take 20 years or more. Look at St. Monica, St. Augustine. All right, how much do you desire it? If you really desire something, you'll keep doing it. And that's what the point of persistent prayer is. You know, um, and also, too, recruit a heavenly ally. If you are, you know, like either your namesake, pray to the saint that you're named after, or a better one is your vocation. All right, if you're a doctor, do we have any doctors in the house? Have a couple doctors? No doctors, really? We got a couple. But who would a doctor pray for for a patron saint? Who would a doctor pray to? St. Cyril and Methodius, right? Okay. Um, do we have any, I don't know in Australia, if you're like in America, we have hunters. I'm a hunter, all right? Do we have any hunters? All right, who's the patron saint of hunters? St. Hubert. St. Hubert. Okay. All right. Now, you all know the story of St. Lawrence. He was burned at the stake, remember? And as they were burning him, he said, you could turn me over now. I'm done on this side. Guess what he's the patron saint of? Bakers. So, so chefs. So, Pray to your heavenly ally. All right, so prayer is important. Now, fasting, fasting is allowing the spirit to control the flesh. Almsgiving is truly out of love because you're not looking for recognition. You got to do number one. Okay, real quick. Number two, equip yourself. What does that mean? All right. You can't give what you don't have. So, you must know your faith. Watch these tapes from Perusia. They've got some amazing ones. Scott Hahn. All right. Deacon Harold Sivers. Steve Ray. These are all my friends. Watch these tapes. This is how you equate yourself. Um, Charbel mentioned uh, explaining the faith. I started a seminary series. The whole point, everybody told me I was crazy. When I told my staff, we have 100 employees at the Marion Helper Center on the Eden Hill between the Shrine and the Marion Helper Center. So I have 100 employees that report to me. 
And I'm telling you, at one time or another, every one of the hundred told them I was crazy. You are never going to be able to do a 90-minute video every single Saturday and get any views. Well, we started that, and I did 90 minutes, and I said the favorite time of my life was seminary. And I said, I loved my time in seminary. And I have all my notes. I have all the records from it. I have all my exams. I'm going to go back to seminary. I want to take you with us. So I said to everybody, I'm starting this series, and I'm going to give you a seminary education. And it was 90 minutes. 90 minutes, and people said I was crazy. Do you know since that time we started this, we had 83 million views on that seminary series. 83 million. Unbelievable. And so this is God. And now we, we did it easier for the, for the lazy people like myself. We have a new series on EWTN called Living Divine Mercy, where I take those 90 minutes and I combine them down to 10. <laughs> so, so if you don't want to watch the whole seminary series, Watch Living Divine Mercy on EWTN. It's on YouTube now. We post them on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and type in Living Divine Mercy, you'll see our teaching condensed down into 10 minutes, and we have awesome stories. So anyway, you got to equip yourself. So you got to know your faith before you can share it. All right, number three, plant the seeds. What is plant the seeds? Give seed gifts. Instead of giving these dumb gifts like a Chia Pet, Give, do you guys know what Chia Pets are in Australia? Oh my gosh, that's totally a dumb American gift. It's this little cow that you put water in it and it grows plants out the side that looks like fur. And, and, they, and then they have sheep. I didn't know that there's two and a half times more sheep in Australia than people. Did you guys know that? There's two and a half more times sheep in Australia than people. So in America, we have these dumb gifts called Chia Pets, and you put the water in, and they grow the little plants out of them, and it looks like fur, so you have a little lamb. It's the dumbest thing. So instead of giving stupid gifts like these, give seed gifts, DVDs, CDs, books. Charbel is saying books are still selling really well. People like to have a hard copy. Get our books. Living Divine Mercy, if you want to understand, is out there on the table that I wrote. Um, after Suicide, that book out there, uh, it's really sad. I'm happy in one sense, but I'm sad in another. I went to uh, Ireland earlier this year, and I spoke at the Divine Mercy Conference in Dublin. It's the largest Divine Mercy Conference in all of Europe. We had 10,000 people. And I spoke... And do you know that in Ireland, that suicide book is the number, and this is five years after I wrote it. This is unbelievable. It's the number one nonfiction selling book in Ireland. Not just religious, all nonfiction. So books on World War II, books on the civil Americans, well, I guess they wouldn't apply in Ireland, but... On the potato famine, all nonfiction books, that book is number one. 
At first, I said, thank you, Lord. It's good. I want to see people turning back to you after suicide. But in another sense, it's alarming that suicide has become that big a problem. And so I wrote that book. It's not just about suicide. If you are suffering with any kind of suicide, uh, uh, I'm sorry, if you're struggling with any kind of suffering or loss, <clears throat> please get that book. It's all about hope. But anyway, seed gifts. Give Parousia DVDs, CDs, whatever you can do to get the people, pamphlets, booklets. Get the people to know their faith and share it with them. All right, so plant. So number three, plant the seeds. All right, this is important because people don't know. I came back. You know what? One of the things that brought me back to the faith is probably even a Parousia a CD, but it was Scott Hahn's The Lamb Supper. Has anybody here heard Scott Hahn's The Lamb Supper? Holy mackerel. And everybody always yells at me for saying holy mackerel. It's just an expression. <laughs> Scott Hahn's talk on The Lamb Supper is one of the greatest talks I ever heard in my life. If you haven't heard that, I'm sure you guys got it, right? Get it. Get it from Perusi. It'll change your life. Or perhaps a small pamphlet. Just leave them at their desk. You know what? When I have extra prayer cards or holy cards that I don't want to keep because I got too many, I leave them on the chairs at airports. Leave them on the chair at airports. You know what's funny? I was, um, I've said mass in some crazy places. On the way out here, I said mass on the plane because I didn't have time because there was no Sunday. I took off at 11.59 out of uh, New York, JFK, and I landed on Monday morning uh, with a layover in Auckland, and then I went to Appia in Samoa. So there basically was no Sunday, because you go over the date line, right? So you go over the date line, you basically lose the entire day. I never had a Sunday. So I said mass on the plane. People were looking at me like I was crazy. Like, what is this guy doing? So then, uh, earlier I had said mass in the airport on a weekday, and all of a sudden, and this is in America, I'm at the Boston airport, and I'm saying mass, and all of a sudden, here comes two ladies. They join me. All of a sudden, here comes another guy. He joins us. All of a sudden, here comes a family. They join us. First of all, a little congregation. And I'm saying mass there in the Boston airport. And so a lot of the people there that came after we finished the mass started asking, Father, this is beautiful. I've never seen a priest do a mass in an airport before. I literally spread the, uh, at the table at, at, uh, at a Starbucks. Boy, if there's a place that needs a prayer done, it's Starbucks. <laughs> and so I laid out an altar on the Starbucks table. And you could hear the employees like, <laughs> I mean, no one in today's woke culture, they, you know, going to come get me. But anyway, people were all watching around the airport. So when I finished, I left a bunch of little prayer cards of the Divine Mercy, little pamphlets, how to pray the chaplain. And so when I left and I was going onto the plane, I kind of looked back, and half of them were already gone. Now, my favorite part of that story was the cleaning lady. As I was sitting down about eh, 20 feet from where I left them, I noticed this little cleaning lady. This beautiful woman, she must have been, I'm not kidding, 70, 80 years old. God bless her, working at the airport to clean. 
She just had this long face. You could just see this woman has had a tough life. You could see just by looking in her eyes, she was tired. She was hardened. She probably could tell you stories that we've never been through in our lives. And she was throwing stuff away. She was picking up the napkins and throwing them in the garbage. She was picking up the straws and throwing them in the garbage. And then she got to the seat where I left a Divine Mercy prayer card. And she went to throw it in the garbage. And I'm watching her, and she goes to throw in the garbage, and then she stops and she looks at it. She turns it over, and she stares at it, and she put it in her front pocket. I tell you, if there's nothing else I've ever done to evangelize, that, to me, was one of the ways that you and any of us can do. You don't have to say a word. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You don't have to say anything. You can just evangelize in little ways like that. And the tools you can use for that, right here at Perusia. This is why Perusia exists, is to give you that material. You don't have to say it, they do. But you can become the arms and feet of Jesus to get it out to the people. That is a key. So plant the seeds. Now I'm ruling really, really late. All right. So basically, um, you, okay, here's the thing, everybody. When you plant the seed, you got to do this. This is very important. You have to trust that God is going to do it and not you. All right. This is how. You, when you are trying to bring somebody back to the faith, they've got to know that your love is authentic and that they can trust you. Why? That it's unconditional love, not your self-righteousness. That you want, oh, I want Junior and me next to the church because Margaret down the street, her sons are with her in church. My sons aren't with me in church, so you need to come to church with me. No, that's self-righteous. So here's the thing, everybody. You got to show your loved ones that you will love them no matter what, even if they don't come back. You got to show them you love them even if they don't come back. Unconditional love. You do the works of mercy for them. You open the door and let them walk through it. You're not going to force them through it. You got to love them. Don't abandon them if they don't come back. Keep loving them, but show your joy and let them see your joy and come back. All right, next, open the conversation. At some point, you're going to have to bring up the faith, but wait for the right moment. Don't do it the day they got fired from their job, okay? Don't do it on the day that they just had a car wreck. You do it when they're in a good mood. Do it when they're in a good mood, not when they're having a bad day. Ask if they'd be willing to discuss something. Don't lecture to them. You know, Johnny, I've been noticing you're totally on the wrong path, and this may be true. Johnny may be on the wrong path, and you're not going to church. Johnny, I'm telling you right now, you are wrong. Ain't going to work. You got to ask them, are you willing to discuss something? Yeah, Mom, what is it you want to discuss? I just, you know, I noticed that you haven't been going to church, and I understand you're busy. There's a lot of things going on, but is there something that happened is there a reason? You know, my dad has a brother, my own uncle, used to pray the rosary daily. Daily. He used to pray the rosary. And all of a sudden, he stopped going to church. Hasn't been to church for 40 years. 
And I was saying at the Wacom how I'm going to find a time to go see him. And I'm going to ask him why he doesn't believe in God anymore, but nicely, not combative. Just, is there something that happened? Well, I called my father after that talk at Wacom. And he said, I beat you to the punch. This just happened yesterday. Just, just happened. He said, I beat you to the punch. I called Carl. Because, you know, I didn't know this. They broadcast our talks from Wacom. It was on the internet. I didn't know this. And my sister was home and showed my dad, and he watched it. And he said, I called Uncle Carl. That's his brother, my uncle. And he, he said, you know, are you willing to discuss something? And he said, um, you know, I noticed that for years you've not believed in God. You haven't been, you haven't been coming back to the church and, and, and everything. And he said, uh, you know, is there a reason? Is there a reason? And my uncle said, yeah. They lost a baby. And my dad didn't even know this. They lost a baby. And he could never forgive God for letting the baby die. And so how beautiful that my dad was able to say, there's a talk Chris did, if you'd be willing to watch it, on why a good and loving God would allow such suffering. Now, I don't know if he's going to watch it. I pray he will. But I'm telling you, if he does, then you have opened the door. You've opened the door for the conversation. That's all it takes. Because if he can explain to Uncle Carl why a good and loving God allows suffering sometimes, you'll change a life. We have those talks out there. Go to YouTube, type in my last name, and why would a good and loving God allow suffering? It's unbelievable what we don't know in our faith. And here's my own uncle as an example. So praise be to God. So basically to finish this one, here's the key. Open the conversation. See if they're willing to discuss it. Say that you want to listen to them, not lecture to them. All right? You know, I want to know your thoughts. Then listen. Your goal is to find out why they don't go to church anymore. Not telling them they're wrong. All right? And then you end the conversation and you go do research. For instance, if somebody says, I don't go to church anymore because of the scandal. I am refused to go to church because of the church scandal. Priests abusing children. I tell you, that is one of the most horrid things. And I have said before, but what people don't realize is a vast, vast majority of your priests are good. Do you know? There should be no abuse, none, zero. But do you know that the number of priests that have been abusive, for every one bad priest, there is 100 good ones. Still, one is too many. But here's something you may have not known. Do you know that proven statistics, and I'm not justifying anything here, but the John Jay report, the Jenkins study out of Penn State, the John Jay report is proven fact. Do you know in the church scandal about abuse what they discovered? Anybody know these statistics? 85% of abuse happens in the home. 
14% happens in public schools and extracurriculum activities like sports. 1% happens in religious institutions. Now that's still too many. There should be zero. 1% happens in religious institutions, and of that, the Catholic Church is in the bottom half. The Catholic Church is in the bottom half of the bottom 1% in abuse. But do you hear that in the media? No. So if somebody says, I left the church because I can't take the scandal, this might be some information you need to share with them. I get it, Johnny. I don't blame you. There should be no abuse. It's horrible. I personally, as a priest, and I swear by this, I would die. I'm talking literally die before I would abuse a child. You would literally have to kill me before I would ever abuse a child. And so we don't hear about those priests that do everything good, all the good. All we hear about is that one half of 1%. But that's why people leave the church, by the millions. You know, it's not that this is, I'm trying to justify it. I'm not. But we got to know the truth, the full facts, right? All right, so I know, Charbel, you're probably like, oh my gosh, Father, you're running again again. All right, almost done, almost done. Okay, so next, move the dialogue forward, number five. All right, how do you do this? Speak with joy about the faith. All right, be positive. Clear up any misconceptions. For instance, if somebody says to you, I don't go to church anymore because I was never spiritually fed as a Catholic. Well, it's likely they never understood the Eucharist. Because if you understood the Eucharist, you would certainly be being spiritually fed. So if you say, I, wasn't, I don't go to church anymore because I'm not spiritually fed. Do you understand what the Eucharist is? And if you don't, get some work of Perusia. Go to our online talks that explain what the Eucharist is. All of a sudden, you're going to find out you are more spiritually fed than you ever imagined. All right? This is what's important. Gently propose to those to encourage them to take another look. Powerful stuff. All right, number six, invite and connect. What does that mean? All right. Invite them. Don't force them to be active in their faith. All right? Maybe a parish event. I have a, a good friend who fell away from the church years ago, and he loves softball. Now, down in North Carolina, when I had my business, we, um, at our church, we, we, fought, we put together a softball team. Now, Mike Ert had no interest in going to church. But you know what I did? We backdoored him. We said, hey, Mike, we need an extra first baseman. You play first base. Need a first baseman on the team. Oh, uh, yeah, all right. It's the St. Mark's team. Catholic Church? Yeah, but we're talking softball. Meh, all right. Doesn't seem too harmful. So he started playing with us on the softball team. Year and a half later, he's entering back into the church because he got to know the people. He's like, hey, the Catholics aren't that bad. People are non-Catholic. You get into a church event, and they'll realize, oh, my gosh, this church doesn't look like Satan. It's crazy. Non-Catholics, they can't even get near a Catholic church. They think it's Satan. 
Satan. No, come to an event, even if it's not mass, get them to come to an event. They can see it is good people. All right. So basically, you pull them, you don't push them. Find a common interest. Your goal is to get them back into the church eventually, but do it through things that interest them. Don't move too fast. Extend invitations. This is powerful. And finally, close the loop. Close the loop. Help them to reconcile with the church. Many say that they don't know how to come back. And you know why, as I said earlier, why most people don't come back to church? Nobody asks them. So you got to ask them to come back. Don't confuse them. Don't overwhelm them. Maybe get them into RCIA, whatever you got to do. Get them talking to the priest, answer their questions. All right, so basically, I want to finish now by saying the big four ways you can do to get your loved ones back to the faith. These are the big four. Number one, have masses said for them. How many times people come up to me and say, Father, Father, you got to pray for Junior. He's not coming to church. He's not going to church. I always ask them, have you had masses said for him? Well, no. Have masses said for them. They don't even have to know it. One woman said to me, well, I can't have a mass said for Junior. He'll yell at me. He doesn't have to know. You go to the church office. You have a mass said for him. You don't even have to say what's the intention. You just say a special intention. God knows what it is. Second, pray the chaplet and the rosary daily for them. The rosaries, if you're at my talk today, is like liturgy of the word in the mass. The chaplet is like liturgy of the Eucharist because it's offering sacrifice. And by your virtue of your baptism, you are a priest, common priesthood. Say the chaplet and the rosary for them daily. Third, let them see your joy. If you come down on Sunday mornings and you're like, oh, I got to go to church. <sighs> but you know what? We can go to the ball game afterwards. But first, I got to go to church. If they don't see the joy in you, you think they're going to have any joy? I have had so many funerals and so many times the kids have said to me that we came back to the faith because we saw mom's love for the mass. What was it that mom had that was so joyful? And they finally figure it out, her faith. Don't miss that opportunity to show joy in your love of the faith. That's what's going to bring your kids back. And finally, this is one that I love and nobody knows this. This one is great. The suffering your children cause you or your spouse offer back to God to bring them back to the faith. So if your spouse or kids cause you pain because they're not in the church, offer up that suffering and pain, and God will use it to be able to bring them back to the faith. That is beautiful. So I think that's all. I know I'm running out of time here. But basically, oh, consecrate yourself. This is really important. Um, this is really, really, really important. This, Jesus said, Call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you say this prayer, the chaplet we just talked about, with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, listen to this. I will give him the grace of conversion. Did you hear that? Read that again. Jesus said, Diary 186, Call upon my mercy. On behalf of sinners, 
I desire their salvation. When you say this prayer, the chaplet, with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. Well, Father, I did pray the chaplet. Johnny didn't convert. Well, did you do it with a contrite heart and with faith? Did you have faith that you trust that God will work? Even if your child doesn't convert to the day they die, the diary of St. Faustina says many conversions happen when? At the moment of their death. You don't see it. It doesn't happen until after they die. At the, should say at the moment of their death. But God brings all the graces from your prayers to that soul at the moment Christ comes to them and gives them the grace to grin and grab and say yes to Jesus. Absolutely amazing. And I'm sorry I got one more. One of the greatest tools, everybody, if you haven't had a chance to convert somebody, let Mary do it. How many here have heard of the green scapular? You know the greatest part about this? They don't have to do anything. This scapular is amazing. Mary appeared in her right hand holding this green scapular, and it inflames holding on her other hand this scapular and the... Um, and the Immaculate Heart in the other hand. Now listen to this. Mary said the scapular is not like the others. She said it's totally different. It's not based on a religious habit like the brown scapular. It's simply two holy images on a single piece of green cloth. No special formula is required to bless it or to enroll somebody in it. It suffices that it be blessed by a priest. And listen to this. Worn by the one whom desires to benefit of Our Lady's intercession. Did you guys hear what I just said? Guess what? If you want to convert somebody, you don't make them wear the green scapular. You wear it. You wear it for them. If you want somebody to convert back to the faith, you wear the green scapular for them. This is what this does. And you know what? People put it under the mattress or you hide it near somebody who has fallen away from the faith. And that brings about It is just absolutely beautiful. All right. So that's it. Basically, we're done. We're going to finish with a quote summary right here. Pope Francis, Pope Benedict said, all are called to a new evangelization. Evangelization is not the work of specialists, but entire people of God under the guidance of their priest." Every member of the faithful in and of the church community must feel responsible for proclaiming and witnessing the gospel, not just overseas, but right here and now. Utilize the help of Perusia. They will help you do that. God bless you, everybody. Thank you.